Well, good morning. It is great to see you this morning. Um, as we said a couple of weeks ago, we were breaking into our series on uh, Colossians to deal with a few other things. We had Palm Sunday, we had Easter Sunday last week. But also this week is a little bit more of a teach than a preach. Because I'm going to be speaking, if you want a title for this morning's messages, Deacons, Who Needs Them? Um, at our last church family meeting, we said that it was our intention to introduce the role of deacon into our church life. Uh, we have already, just so that you know, that because we, over, over, if you've been around a little while, you know we've spoken about deacons for a number of years, but nothing ever happened. Okay, but just to let you know, we've actually spoken to a couple of people in the church who we would like to ordain or appoint as deacons. <clears throat> But they're currently undergoing training. Uh, they're currently uh, looking at the whole role. And I, I don't want you speculating now. Saying, oh, who is it? Who is it? And don't go asking people because that could make it difficult. <coughs> by, the, um, by this elimination, you could probably start to work, work out. Just don't go around doing that. But, because they may not accept the role. Okay? But we want to let you know that we're actively engaged in doing something. The proposal is that our next church family meeting, um, subject to their approval, uh, that they want to uh, go ahead with this, we will announce who they are and then sub subsequently set them in on a Sunday morning before all the church. Um, in time, that's two, in time we will train and appoint other deacons as appropriate. But the question raised in the title of this morning's message, Deacons Who Needs Them?, well, I trust be answered in what I'm about to say. First of all, if, if, if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you are already, in the broadest sense of the word, already a deacon. As Christians, we're followers of Jesus Christ, and in following Jesus, we're called to live a life that reflects his life. Paul says in Ephesians 4, to live a life worthy of the calling. What's the calling? to follow Jesus. We've been called to follow him. As already been mentioned, Jesus, the God-man, the King of Kings, was humbly born in a stable and lived amongst us, not lording it over people, but he lived amongst us as a servant. Now, the Greek word for servant is diakonos, which just for those of you who are particularly interested in the Greek, um, and it appears 29 times in the New Testament, and it's nearly always translated as servants or ministries. So as I said earlier, in a general sense, all of us as believers are already deacons. If you read the following verses I'm going to read, literally, they would read this. In Matthew 23, verses 11 to 12, The greatest among you shall be your deacon. Whoever exhorts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exhorted. If we read Mark 9.35, literally, and Jesus said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be the last and deacon of all. And in John 12.26, if anyone deacons me, he must follow me. And where I am there will be my deacon be also. If anyone deacons me, the Father will honour him. So Jesus here we see Jesus talking about being a servant and he mandates servanthood, but Jesus also models servanthood. 
Jesus not only tells us to be servants, but he models it for himself. Jesus himself was the ultimate deacon, as we read in Mark 10. Jesus came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. So in a general sense, as I said, we're all deacons. If we're living for Jesus, we are all servants. Same word, diakonos, that's used for deacon. So why do we appoint particular people to the office of deacon if we're all deacons? Well, to deacon, if I use that as a, uh, as a verb, is that right, English people? Deacon, looking at Andy, my headmaster. Um, in the narrow sense, then we're speaking of uh, this morning, is how we would continue, not in, as a church, not in the broadest sense, but as one of the two offices that the New Testament church speaks of and encourages. The scripture tells us there are only two ordained offices in the church. One is the overseer, elder, pastor. Again, let's be clear, bishop, overseer, elder, pastor, one of the same person. The scripture just uses different ways to describe <laughs> that role, but it's the one person. So we have a, an elder, pastor, an overseer, and the other being a deacon. We believe in a healthy church that we need not any plurality of elders to teach and care and the shepherd the church, but also that we have ordained deacons as a formal office in the church that have specific serving roles in the life of the church. Just say at this point, we have two elders. Most of you will know that uh, Matt and I self, but we have also three group leaders. Three group leaders. The three home group lead leaders, Nick, who's just been out here, Tim, who's led, and Jonathan sitting at the front here. They're three home group leaders who help and assist us as pastors to care and shepherd the church. And can I say at the moment, we say this morning, we are so grateful for you guys. We're so grateful for the way you care as shepherd the church, the way you care for your groups. And in many ways, their roles are a kind of a continuation and extension of the ministry of elders. And these men have served us well, many of us for a number of years. I think Jonathan probably about the longest. He's the oldest. But they've served... <laughs> Sorry about that, Jonathan. Just... I get enough stick about age, so come on. <laughs> Uh, they are faithful, caring men who have served us all well. And this morning, I want to say thank you. We move on to digging. Thank you for your role, your significant role in this church. And although we've just said that those, those, those guys are helping us in the care and the shepherding of the church... The role of the deacon, however, is fundamentally different. It's about assisting the pastors to guard the ministry of the word, to organize service in the church, to care for the needy and mobilize ministry. Now, I've just given a broad brush there of, of the role, but there are many other areas of service. And let me say that each deacon is not expected to, um, to be involved in every area. <laughs> There will be specific deacons, which I'll come on to in a moment. Each deacon will have an allotted area of responsibility. So deacons are a provision of God for the meeting of the church's temporal and physical needs. 
The church is not only a spiritual reality. We know that this morning, if we're Christians. The church is not only a spiritual reality, but it is also a physical community. The church has people not only with spiritual needs and burdens, but also physical needs. And God strengthens his church with the gift of deacons to care for the temporal needs, physical needs of the church. And so this morning I want to briefly look at three things. One, the biblical basis of deacons. Two, the biblical role of deacons. And three, the biblical qualifications of deacons. So first of all, let's look at the biblical basis of deacons. So would you turn to the book of Acts to chapter 6, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 7. I think it's coming up there as well. No, not yet. Is it coming up? Yes, good. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of, of the priests became obedient to the faith. As we progress through the book of Acts, we see in chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we see that great cameo. I love, I love that little cameo of the church in those few verses of how the church would meet together for fellowship, breaking of bread, following in the apostles' doctrine. And in that time, they were gathering, they, they were being strengthened. And the, in verse 47 of 40, uh, of uh, Chapter 2, it says, The Lord added to their number daily. As a result of them gathering together and progressing, they were being added to. And then the church in Acts 4, was, we see it progressing, growing well, and being cared for, and with great grace upon them. And then we get to chapter 6. The church still growing, but now the growth was causing some members to be upset. There was a complaint because the Widows were being neglected. They came to a crisis in the early church and the, and, and the apostles were concerned that if they were to get involved in serving tables, i.e. the temporal and physical needs of the church, the preaching of the word would be compromised. These Hellenist Jews would be very aware from their background of, of the Old Testament call and to, to care for widows. And here, right at the start of the early church, there was a potential for division. There was a potential for the church, the opportunity to have major division. This was potential conflict. The apostles' plan to avoid conflict and division and meet the needs of the widows was to pick out seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, and appoint them to do these duties. 
so that they could devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And as a result of doing that, we read in verse 7 that the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples were multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Although you will not find in chapter 6 the noun deacon being used, biblical scholars have long understood that these seven men provide a pattern and a biblical basis for the office of deacon. Acts chapter 6 doesn't establish deacons, but it does produce a model and prototype of people who serve the church in such a way that the elders can devote themselves to the ministry of the word. What was at stake here was the ministry of the word. That was the issue here. And the apostles recognised that there were needs in the church, but if they were to fulfil them, then there would be a compromise to the ministry of the word. And devoting themselves to the ministry of the word, and this is true for today, is much more than just preaching the word on a Sunday morning, although obviously that's involved. But it's spending time with people in various areas, various times, whether it be in counselling or just in one-on-one teaching or whatever. It's more than that, but it's a focus on prayer and the word. And it was important that these temporal needs of the church did not distract the apostles from prayer and preaching of the word. Now, these seven men were not businessmen. They weren't skilled craftsmen. They didn't sort of pick out who are the best people, who are the best businessmen in the church, who are the best craftsmen, who are the best, you know, uh, like we have some, some very capable do-it-yourself kind of people in our church. Um, uh, Nick and I are not one of them, either of them. Um, there were many others here. But these were not businessmen. They were not, they were not skilled craftsmen. But as Luke writes, they were men full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, competent men of high moral character and integrity with some ability. And it's only some 25 years later on that we see that Paul in Philippians 1, verse 1, and in 1 Timothy 3, we see the first mention of deacons. And in 1 Timothy 3, Paul defines the formal roles of overseers, elders, pastors, and deacons. Just using those three descriptions so that we're clear, it's only two roles, elders and deacons. And since this would be our biblical base for going forward, there's much more we could have said, but we don't have time this morning. So I want to move on to the biblical role of deacons. The Bible does not give us a list of duties of deacons, but it does give us clues. As we already said, the role of the elders is to govern, teach, and shepherd the church, And the role of deacons is to serve the church in its temporal and physical needs. Spiritual care and oversight is the responsibility of pastors and not of deacons. So when we're considering deacons, that's not their role. That's not what they are to do. Deacons are not called to govern or teach, not in their role as deacons. They could be involved in other ways. And by the way, just want to say here that some people think that deacons is a, a stepping stone to eldership or elders in training. They're not. The requirements of an elder, the requirements of a deacon, although character-wise are very similar, their role is very different. We would see 
deacons leading the church in areas of administration, facilitating meetings, meeting tangible needs, the area of benevolence and finance, and many, many more. And an important aspect of the deacons' role, as we see in Acts 6, is that they appointed deacons to salvage and maintain the unity of the church. I think this is an area that often is overlooked. The role of the deacon is to promote and maintain the unity of the church. So deacons must be people who promote, advocate, display and strengthen unity in the church. Mark Deva says this, You don't want people serving as deacons who are unhappy with your church. The deacons should never be the ones who complain the loudest or jar the church with their actions or attitudes. Quite the opposite. You don't want to nominate deacons who don't recognise the importance of the ministry of preaching and teaching, but people who are anxious to protect it. More broadly, you want the most supportive people in the church to serve as the deacons. So when you're considering who might serve as a deacon, look for people with the gift of encouragement. The role of deacons is not to act as some separate group. In some churches that is the case, and I'll touch on that a bit later, but, but in, in our case we don't see the role of deacons to act as a kind of board of deacons. I know some, some people uh, have that. They're not there to check out the decisions of the elders. The purpose of deacons is inseparably tied to the priority of the elders. And Mark Deaver again gives a, a I've changed the, the places because he, he used American places. But he said, if elders say, let's drive to Birmingham, he didn't say Birmingham because he's American, it's not up to the deacons to come back and say, no, let's drive to Manchester. They can legitimately come back and say, our engine won't get us to, to Birmingham. Perhaps we should reconsider. That's very helpful. But in general, their job is to support the destination set by the elders. That's their role. That's their role. Their, their job is to support the destination set by the elders. The role of the elders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But of course, all of us are responsible for ministry. All of us are to serve. All of us are to care for one another. All of us to share the gospel. Jamie Dunlop gives us a very simple framework. He said, elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. Very, very simple. The elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation, which includes the deacons and includes the men, the elders does ministry. So in broad terms, the deacons are meeting the physical, temporal, and tangible needs of the church, promoting unity and assisting the elders. As I said earlier, across various churches, there are a number of different ways that this role is practically exercised and we don't have time to go into those different practices but to suffice it to say that over a number of years now uh, we have we have studied the whole issue of deacons we've been to london to listen to people expound on that one of them was mark dever who i just quoted from um, and we've looked at the 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 many different models of deacon, how deacons are practiced but we, so my comments from here on in really be relevant to a, 
our proposed practice. We haven't got time, as I said, to go into the various different ones. As I said earlier, we will not be establishing a deacon board, but we will appoint role-specific deacons. In other words, the deacon will have a specific area of responsibility, and in the event of either role no longer required or the deacon stepping down from that role, they will automatically step down from being a deacon. It is role-dependent. Uh, as I said, we we're starting with two, but our desire will be in time to appoint other deacons. And I want to say at this point, I said earlier that we, we're all deacons. We all serve in that general sense. And you as a church serve brilliantly. You don't realise, I mean, I, I speak to other leaders and they tell me things like, oh, can't get people to serve, get about 20% of the people. When I tell them that all of our members, they all serve, they just think it's amazing. And what's more, you don't only serve, but you serve joyfully. If you were, one of, one of, the, one of the ways to see that is to come in on a, on a Sunday morning for the setup team. It's, it's a lot of work, but there's and fun. I think some people, I actually know some people say, put me on the setup team because I like being there and fun. But in all areas, whether it's in children's work or in creche or uh, music, e everywhere, you, you guys serve joyfully. And we are so thankful. Matt and I are thankful for the way you serve, but more importantly, it brings glory to God. Now, although there are many needs, so you could probably sit there now and think, oh, we need a deacon for this, this, and this. You know, we could need 20 deacons. Half a church, whatever. Um, uh, Timothy, Paul, in instructing Timothy about deacons, gives us the qualifications. So it's not just about the fact that there is a need. There is also a requirement of the person who's going to be a deacon who's going to be able to do that job, do that role in a way that brings glory to God. It's not just a case of need. Here is a need, let's appoint a deacon. Appointing a deacon, it's not just about need, but as we read and turn to 1 Timothy 3, if you could turn to 1 Timothy 3 in your Bible, I want to read here from what Paul says what deacon must be. Again, I hope this will come up. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That last statement, by the way, although it's specifically talking about the formal role of deacons, I think that's true for all of us, all of us as servants. For those who serve well, all of us as deacons gain a good standing for themselves. But Paul, having outlined earlier in this chapter the qualifications for an overseer, and, um, and, uh, he moves from 
talking about the qualifications from being a, an elder or an, uh, an overseer into the qualifications for a deacon. Now again this morning, we don't have time to go through this, through 8.13, going through each of the particular qualifications. But I'd encourage you to go home and, and study them and look at them for yourself. Look at what the qualifications are. If you aspire to be an elder, look at what the qualifications, a deacon, I should say, sorry, a deacons, look at what the qualification says. Paul is stressing here that the same character qualifications required for eldership is effectively the same character qualifications for deaconing. The one major difference of a deacon to an elder in qualification, he says, is the ability to teach. But his focus on deacons is not primarily gift or ability, but character. The difference between elders and deacons are gifts and responsibilities. The deacon's life must be consistent with the word and validate the ministry of the church. And Paul is more concerned about what the deacon must be than what the deacon must do. And this reflects Paul's understanding that God cares more about our character than our gifting. So often we can focus on our gifting, whether it's in this role or any other role. But God is concerned about character. The character challenge for us all this morning is there for us. Whether we deacon or an elder, that's a challenge. God cares more about our character and our gifting and our desires that we, that we would grow in our gifts. God desires that we would grow in our character. And not try and grow by our own efforts. Not be on a self-improvement exercise, but by his grace. Those of us, those of us who are studying real change, be careful. You're studying real change. Don't make this into a self-improvement exercise. God will give you the grace for change. And when God gives you the grace for change, that becomes real change. In verse 13 of, of, of this, uh, 1 Timothy 3, Paul tells us that faithful serving of others draws us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And as I said earlier, that, that can be true of all of us, whether we're deacons or not, whether we have the official title of deacons or in the general sense of being a deacon. The way to grow in serving is to, for us to take our eyes off ourselves and look to the needs of others. If you want to grow in serving, that's what you do. And that's the challenge, isn't it? That's the challenge. Yeah. Very often, the, the subject that we're most passionate about is us. We're most concerned about us and not others. But that's the whole essence of serving, is to take our eyes off ourselves and look to the needs of others. And our growth in godliness is always, always going to be at the result of gospel grace. Not self-improvement, but drawing on the gospel of grace, which uh, the, bio, the gospel transformation Bible says is the only power that can transform the human heart. The only power that can transform the human heart. Now, before I close, one of the questions I think many of you might have sitting there right now um, is very often one of the first questions that are asked about deacons, but I left it to the end. Can women be deacons? Can women be deacons? 
Now, there are many differing positions and arguments for and against women deacons. And some of those arguments relate to how different churches practice the role of deacons. In our case, because our deacons will not carry out any spiritual teaching or governing role, there's no board of deacons, but their role is as leading servants, we will ordain appropriate women as deacons. So for us, the answer is yes. Um, in other situations, it may not be correct. And then there are differences of opinion. But scripture does not in pattern or instruction forbid women deacons in the same way that scripture prohibits women elders. I could spend a lot more time going into what the differences are there. But it isn't the same. Deacons are not called to shepherd the flock and to give biblical instruction to the gathered church. And unlike elders, deacons will not answer to God for the spiritual welfare of the flock. We do have an example in Romans 16 where Paul sends a commendation to Phoebe, a servant. The word, it says servant, but is actually diakonos, deacon of the church at Century. And also I want to say this, while it is acceptable for us to use the term deaconess, Mr Spurgeon uses the term deaconess, women deacons, so he obviously believes that we can... I mean, that's, that's secondary approval to the Bible, isn't it, if we say Spurgeon says. Um, but um, uh, we... we that, that is legitimate. But for women deacons that we may have, we will refer to them as deacons. So we don't think of a deaconess as a deacon's wife. They stand in their own right as a deacon. Now, the conclusion of chapter 13. But Paul has given instructions regarding these two offices, offices, qualifications for overseers, qualifications for deacons. Having given this, he reminds Timothy and reminds us today in verse 14 and 15 that this is a serious matter. It's a serious matter because the church of the living God, he says, and the gospel is at stake. The gospel, the word of God is at stake. The church, he says, is a pillar and buttress of the truth. What does a pillar do? A pillar upholds the truth. It upholds the truth. That's what we are to be, pillars that upholds the truth. A buttress to protect the church to protect the truth. We are as a church to protect the truth, as a church protecting the truth. And we believe that in establishing the right deacons will help us not only to grow spiritually and numerically, but also enable us to, to be more effective, to strengthen us, to be that pillar and buttress for the truth, which is of prime importance. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you this morning that it's not our church we are building. It's not our truth we are upholding and protecting. Thank you this morning that we are called to be pillars and buttresses of the truth. 
Father, thank you this morning. You provide the truth. It's your truth that we're upholding. And thank you that you have a design for the health, a growth of your church. And we believe elders and deacons are part of that divine order, that divine design. And we, Father, we pray that as we ordain deacons in the future, it will be a means of grace to strengthen, to uphold and protect the gospel. Father, we pray that you will give us all grace to receive new deacons and to pray for them so that your church will be encouraged and that your name will be glorified. Father, we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.